Sometimes I wonder what it would be like for everything inside me that's denied and unknown to be revealed. But I'll never know. Hello, Dexter Morgan fans, and welcome to the Dexter New Blood Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Reynolds, writer and producer of the Showtime original series, Dexter, and now the new Showtime special event series, Dexter New Blood. Today, we're discussing some of the behind-the-scenes elements that went into making the show with a few of the folks who were an integral part of the village of people who brought Dexter to life every week. I'm so excited. Uh, These people are like family. They are great to work with. I love them all. Joining me is Amy Duddleston, Dexter editor. Hello, Amy. Yeah. Hello. Man, thank you so much for coming around. You you were sure. on the old podcast too, back in I the day. Was. You were, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was. And you were so good. We had to have <laughs> you back. And oh, and next we have uh, Arthur Chadwick. Uh, he's a Dexter set designer and all around amazing human being who does amazing things all the time. I love him. You're gonna love him too. Hello, Arthur. What should we call you? I tend to write my name as A.E. on all the drawings. I'm A.E. Chadwick, but you can call me Arthur yeah. or anything you're comfortable with. Okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> and uh, last but certainly not least, the man that was with us the whole time, I think, uh, he'll correct me if I'm wrong, most of the time anyway, uh, Josh Meltzer, who is our prop master, the man who brought to life so many iconic things that uh, so many knives, so many blood slides, <laughs> so many body parts. Um, hello, Josh. Thanks for coming yeah. on board. Thank you for having me, Scott. It's a, really nice to be here. I actually joined the show full-time season three. Okay. I, well, I, start, I started halfway through season one and then took over uh, full-time season three. Okay. I think uh, just because a lot of people don't necessarily know what all of these positions are, I'd like to take like, sort of a quick minute to sort of discuss your journey to and, and also like what it is you do and how you got here. Because so many people want to become part of the industry, and it's so interesting to find out how each of you got to be what you are. So uh, let's start. Since you were last, Josh, let's let you go first. Let's talk about uh, how you became the prop master extraordinaire that you are. I became a prop master as a fallback career. Oh. Uh, I was a child actor, and that's oh. where I thought I was going to be. Uh, and my father was one of the founding members of the Writers Guild back in the late mm-hmm. 30s, early 40s. And yeah. I thought... Important man, yes. Uh, I thought that I was, you know, going to go in, into the family business and be an actor and, you know, work that way. And he knew what a, an actor's life might be and didn't want me living <laughs> on his couch when I was 40. And uh, he, uh, he said, this is your fallback job. And I kind of fell into it and just kind of ran with it and uh, loved the creativity of it, and probably no more creativity than on Dexter. I mean, that was, that was just such a, a party. It really was. It was just yeah. a great group of people. Yeah, you always had such a, I mean, uh, you knew why you picked the things that you showed us every week. Um, there was a story behind everything. I think that goes to your background a lot, I bet, then, because you're telling always, a story with everything. Right. I always approached props, not only from the writer's perspective of how it affects the story, but also from the actor's perspective of how easy it is to use. Because if the, if the actor has to think about the prop and is it going to work, is it not going to work, how does this, then they're taken out of their moment and, they, yeah. and it shows in their performance. So I tried to always make props actor easy. 
as I called them. And I think Michael especially truly appreciated the time and the effort that I put into designing and thinking through all of his props. I mean, yeah, those there's there are iconic knives that when you see a silver knife, you think of Dexter. And uh, yeah. yeah, and they're just simple and lethal. Everything you need. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Arthur, A.E. Chadwick, why don't you tell everyone what you do and then how you how you got into it? As the set designer, I am the uh, arm of the production designer. I was responsible yes. for getting Jess's ideas onto paper and into the mill. I was considering <laughs> what regional theater I needed to take my skills to when uh, overwhelmed by an episode of The Simpsons, the one where um, Sideshow Bob runs for mayor while he's in prison. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I was yes. like, I have just seen so much hip social commentary, aware of political satire, outright funny writing. I was like on the spot. I had friends that had moved to Los Angeles. Um, and this was back when this was a risky thing to do. I don't know if it still is. And I was like, I got to go work in TV. And so I just, I drove out to Los Angeles, slept on some friends' floors. That's how I uh, got onto Dexter was I have known Jess Kender since we were in school at Carnegie Mellon together. Um, Mm -hmm. And when she got on Dexter, uh, which was seasons five, six, seven, and eight, she brought me along. She wanted me to work with her, which I really appreciated. Uh, I've had a relationship long, uh, long enough with Jess that she could just turn me loose on ideas that she had. You know, she might be out in a scout van figuring out what needed to be for an episode. She could just tell me to get something on paper. And from that would come apartments and basements and basements and basements and some basements. <laughs> um, and that was how uh, I was on Dexter. There you go. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. And Amy Duddleston, uh, yes. editor extraordinaire also. It's like a dream team here. Uh, tell us, like, uh, A, what an editor does, I guess, right? Because uh, there's some people that, that still may not quite understand what that all is. Sure. And then how you how you ended up being so amazing at what you do. Um, well, thank you, Scott. Um, I got into editing, you know, when I was in college. It was the part of film school that I definitely liked the most. I was, you know, in a room by myself. And I was like, this is a dream. Um <laughs> I found solace in the editing room. I really did. And it's really where everything is put together. The show is put together. What an editor does is takes the footage from every day and assembles it and puts the puzzle together of all the pieces according to the script. And then you go from there. And it's a huge job and it's really fun. And I love it. But that's my job putting yeah, stuff together. It's, it's sort of like the <laughs> second chance to rewrite the, an episode. I, it I definitely like. is. So all of you uh, sort of came on to Dexter after it had already started. It yeah, like. I was like yeah. season seven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was so late years. How did you, uh, what, 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 what made you want to work on Dexter? My, my journey to Dexter was probably the, the strangest circumstances because... It was season one, about halfway through the season, and Paul Schreiber, who is an excellent prop master, was the master on the show then. And Paula had an issue on her crew and called me and said, hey, I know you don't normally work as an assistant, but I've got an emergency. Would you come run my set? And I came, uh, I think it was like episode six of season one, and 
ran the set for one or two episodes, and then Pola got sick, and then I finished the season as the prop master. And I was so incredibly, I fell in love with running a set again, and I fell in love with the show and with Michael and his process and just what the show was. It was, as we all know, it was like nothing that was out there at all when it first started. And it was just so incredibly unique. And it, it, it just, it was just so special. It's funny. My journey is sort of the same way in that um, they had already started Dexter and I was like a writer on a different show. And the writing assistant that was on the show was just having, to, you know, every day in, in the writer's room, every day, all you do is talk about killing people and serial killers. Like we just have like the strangest <laughs> conversations in the world. And it was just a little too much for that person. So they, so they quit. And I had seen the pilot when I was writing, I was a staff writer on a, on a different show. And I was like, this is everything. This is the show I most want to do. I called Clyde and I was like, please bring me on. I'll, I'll kill. This will be great. Um, nothing's spoken to me like this. And he'd already staffed up. He'd put the puzzle pieces together. But when that, that staff writer, or when, I went, when the writing assistant left the show, Clyde called me up and said, hey, you want to be a, a writing assistant? I know you're already writing on another thing. And I was like, yes, anything, absolutely. You connect with it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, show, the show meant so much to me that when we finished season one, I went off and I started mastering some pilots. Pola called me to come do season two as the assistant. Yep. And I considered it, but there was a writer's strike that was looming at that point. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. I said, you know what? I don't want to get caught in another writer's strike. So I retired from the film industry and I became what? a school teacher. I started teaching theater. I started teaching theater at a, at a private school in Bel Air. And the day the strike ended, uh, Gary Law, who's the production manager on the show, yeah. he called me and he said, you're going to come back for season three, right? And that day I told the headmaster at that school, I got to leave. And I came back and I reinstated in the industry. And I came back and I've been a prop master ever since. And it was all because I cared that much about this show. What you guys created was that special. Oh, man, that's what a, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is a great story. I didn't want to miss that party. <laughs> Amy. Yes. Um, by season seven, you know, we're deep, deep, deep in the show. And deep. what sort of stuff and have you done before fan. that? I was a fan. I was working on The Killing when oh, I right. got an offer to um, meet for Dexter. And I was very excited about that. And, so uh, you have a type. I do have a type. <laughs> but it was funny because your old co-producer, Chad Tomasaki, who was yeah. there, I think, from like season one to season six or whatever, uh, he had called me. I had worked with him on another show and he had called me a bunch of times trying to get me onto Dexter. And I was always like doing some movie or something and I could never leave. And I was a fan of the show for sure. But when I got the call to come in and meet, I was like, oh my God, Dexter. And I was so excited. And then I went back to the beginning and I immersed myself into the world of Dexter. And by the time I was you know, starting, I was fully ready to jump in. But I still think of like that first day where I got dailies. It was episode two of season seven and it was Sunshine and Frosty Swirl. I think that's the name of the episode. And um, Deb has just discovered that Dexter is uh, a serial killer, is the, you know, the Bay Harbor butcher. And uh, I just remember watching the dailies and like, 
I, I couldn't believe I was like sitting in the chair and like watching the, especially Jennifer and Michael together performing, which they, I was just, yeah, I couldn't even edit. They're incredible. <laughs> I was yeah. like watching dailies, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I have to cut this together now. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> this like giant scene where Deb, yeah. you know, the, it opens with him like chasing her. Yeah. across the yard and then she comes you know and it was a it, the giant and it took me days to put it together and uh it was a thrill and i remember uh Laura Zempel who was one of the assistants she really helped me uh like put it all together like with the music and you know the title sequence and when we had the whole episode together she helped you know temp in like good music and and and, st- and i was like when the title sequence came up i was like it was it was mind-blowing it was mind-blowing to come to a show as a fan because it's it's you know you don't get opportunities like that very often it was like oh my god i am working on dexter (laughs) yeah and i I loved it same yeah yeah, i loved it arthur your turn same as amy um coming into the show as a as a fan is is just it's super weird and really fun like, uh, I mean, I still remember the first time years earlier when someone, uh, a friend had told me that they'd started watching this show. I mean, just the one sentence is great. You know, it's a serial killer, but he works for the police. What? Yeah, he only kills <laughs> bad guys. <laughs> so just go, I don't, we'd already seen the show. And when Jess got it, I mean, I, I would have done, you know, any job for Jess. Uh, but that's sure. with the confidence that Jess would only take a job as good as Dexter. She only, um. Uh, my own preference, you know, if you tell me you're going to do like kids at a college, I'm not necessarily going to be interested in that. But yeah. Dexter is uh, Dexter surreal. Dexter is in this natural world, but has its own weird rules. And that's exactly what I want to be part of. That's exactly what I wanted to, you know, draw scenery for, draw, draw part, solve problems for. Uh, I always comment that no matter how many times I do it, you know, I make little tiny drawings on paper and then they become really big sets and I can go walk on them. And I'm always amazed by it every time. And the same thing is that no matter how much I watch television and no matter how much I can pretend that I know, oh, that's a location or I know where they are now or I know where they're shooting this, to then walk into Dexter's apartment on a stage yeah. over on Sunset Gower is still just amazing. You still just fanboy out at, at things like that, you know? Yeah, whenever I bring friends on, they'd let them touch the, I'd let them touch the air conditioner. The air conditioner. Know? We all <laughs> needed to touch the air conditioner. <laughs> that's, what's, that's what's so fantastic. When the set itself is such a, such a space, such a, such a sort of a, a neat little shrine is really fascinating that it could be so affecting to people to be part of that it was incomparable so of course so that's why i came on to dexter one just said to and two i knew it was going to be fascinating yeah you guys sort of created such a distinct mood and tone to miami in los angeles can you talk about how you sort of approach creating the scene creating the room creating the the space is there is there something very particular during your 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 years on the show that was really fun to create. It would start from just raw requirements. You know, we, we get a script, what scenes, yeah. where are we going to be, what spaces are we in? Um, but every time in Dexter in particular, because Dexter always had uh, story arcs, there was always a, an arc to each season that we could really bite into, that it wasn't yeah. just a matter of making 
you know, another bedroom, another morgue scene, another hospital room. Uh, Dexter always had the central spine that we could always hang on, which was always super fun. Like season five, when I came in, we were building towards the horrible camp with the horrible basement that we had to take care of. We built an entire church, which was also another fascinating thing. And even down inside of that, there were so many great smaller stories, like when we expanded Dexter's apartment to like, we purported to knock out a wall so he could have an entire space for Harrison to live. Oh yeah, that was a lot of discussion for that. Yeah, that was another great piece of taking that existing entire language and extending it. um, Because that's one of those moments where it's like, uh, you're taking, uh, Dexter's very private self, his his you know his place where he keeps blood slides and thinks about killing people and all that sort of stuff, and turning it into a very public space for he and his, and his son. Um, yeah, that, that had to be like a fun challenge of like, because that's the, that's sort of the thing that that happens with Dexter. It's like he's a very he presents as a publicly as one thing, and then privately we as viewers know him to be something completely different. And that had to be fun as a designer for that, I think. Well, that's part of that great language that you're going to be able to do with Dexter's, that there were things underneath. Uh, I would always uh, try to sneak in like bad architecture is something I always love. And that found a particularly uh, fun place to express it in so many little parts on Dexter. Like an example would be, um, I remember in Deb's beach house in her kitchen, there was a cabinet that couldn't open because a post was in the way. And that's almost dismissible, almost unnoticeable, but it was part of the story. It was in her house. It was part of that language. And that was my, uh, it's similar to to Josh finding a story behind each prop, giving it a richness that isn't even necessarily seen on camera. That's kind of thing too, is that that hidden little bit of weirdness that has a story and also illustrates some strange, you know, idea or metaphor is right there. A, do- a drawer that can't open, a window that's up against a brick wall, um, a church that has the proportions, you know, off. So, it, you know, it looks like it might be leaning to one side or can't possibly fit inside the space that it's on. Yeah, no, because all of that stuff is <laughs> is important to character. Even if Even if you don't see it, see it, you feel it. I mean, we're, we 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 uh we were never building like two walls for someone to stand against and just be a, a talking head. We were always making entire rooms, entire spaces for people to be in, which was really cool. It's so helpful for actors too to to feel the space in that way. Um, since a lot of this was shot in L.A., can you tell us a bit about the magic of making it look and feel like Miami? Because you know, we've got palm trees, but generally speaking, L.A. looks very different than Miami does, especially this imagined Dexter Miami. It's yeah. very different, yeah, but then that comes down to a whole lot of how we could frame out a space. Like, we did a lot of shooting down in Long Beach where we could find enough pieces of deco, interesting beach architecture and deco things, and things that were close enough to Miami not to take away from any city's uniqueness, but there's always some part that you can find as an icon to shoot a corner of to evoke a space. And so part of that was just a matter of just framing it down enough. It's not just that you're not looking at mountains, but that you're keeping an eye on this part that we want you, we want you to see a big piece of like white fin sticking up out of something that might be deco, might be a stucco wall. Uh, It's something evocative and in the background and just keeping it uh, simple and close was where we did a lot of that. So you guys worked hand in hand with the directors a lot of times, just and the cinematographers to be like, 
you can't look this way because <laughs> otherwise you're going to see the Hollywood sign. Yeah. It sounds like a terrible thing to say, but yeah, there'd have to be a certain amount of, you know, we're, we're going to dress it like this and we're covering all of this and we're giving you this area to look. Well, what about these windows? Those windows look right into mountains and there ain't no mountains in Florida, so you cannot <laughs> shoot right. that way. Um, respectfully, sir. <laughs> And there'd still be occasions where you might end up frosting the, you know, a, a covering a window with something so that someone could turn a camera into another part of a room if we were on a location or look down a street and not give away that we were in a place that had geology and more architecture. Florida has a fantastic sameness to so much of it, especially when you go back, you know, uh, 20 and 30 years. That would be another challenge in a place like Los Angeles or even down in Long Beach where there's just so much more architecture. There's so much differentiation. We'd have to frame a certain amount off out of that. So it was really just keeping things, uh, keeping a tight frame was how you defined a lot of that look. This show uh, made Kill Room so iconic. How did you approach cre- uh, recreating a Kill Room or creating a Kill Room? Are there any that like sort of pop out in your head you're going to have to give to Mr. Meltzer on that because so much of the kill room was under his yep. auspices. Um, I remember that early on, what's kind of funny is like the first few times that uh, that I was in the art department that was part of the kill room, the space is going to be draped in plastic, focused yep. on the person in the you know on the table, um, and there might be some accoutrement around it. You know, there used to be the pictures, or there might be another prop that we're focusing on. There's there's things inside. We would be, uh, we had to let go of the idea that that outside the plastic had to be completely real, completely done, completely finished. At first, we were doing entire rooms or filling entire spaces. And eventually we were able to come around to the idea that you could build a profile of a room, a shape of a room, and let Josh do the kill room inside of that. That we didn't, it, that was mm. one thing where the kill room was so much of its own space that we did not have to entirely create the space around it to make it perfect. We didn't have to paint the backs of the doors in that case. Um, We could let a little bit go. But the actual building of the kill room was, of course, Mr. Meltzer. To jump on what Arthur's saying, what what the art department, you know, uh, Arthur and Jess and uh, the the decorator did so, so well and so brilliantly in all the kill rooms was... Whatever the character was, I mean, I, I specifically remember there was the uh, the uh, the episode where Dexter went uh, back to the high school reunion, and the kill room was, um, I believe, it was under the bleachers or something like that, and we used a scoreboard as the table. It was a, a, a draped scoreboard. And I thought that was just so brilliant to evoke where we are in what the kill table always became. And each one of the kill tables created its own set of challenges uh, in terms of wrapping the body and the plastic and making it all work and everything else. But we always had conversation about how we get past all of that. And, and I think it, just, it was a, just a great conversation always. So, Josh, uh, let's talk about what you do as far as, like, you get a script. Yeah. You highlight it or whatever, all the props, and let's talk Uh, about that process. Yeah, Michael summarized it um, the best. He said, you keep my hands full. And that's what (laughs) I do. I keep actors' hands full. Anything an actor touches and handles is a prop. 
It may be a piece of set dressing first or a cut piece of costume also, but when they're handling it, it's a prop. So I interact a lot with the set dressing department, with the costume department, uh, with the art department at times, um, so that we all are on the same page as having the overall look of things, uh, that that the look is uniform. And then it's dealing with the director and the actors. But, I mean, it's everything from printed things, like newspapers or or documents or food, uh, or large silver retractable knives. I mean, it's it's all <laughs> it, it, it's all a prop. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh I mean it's not terribly graphic, but there's a lot of graphic violence scenes in Dexter. What do those involve from a prop perspective, right? Was it I mean, I, I think you even supplied us with a with an alligator at one point, right? Yes. Yes, we we yeah. had uh I I made the uh, I made the seven-headed alligator for the the Colin right. uh, Colin Hanks uh, season. Uh, yeah, I guess we really same, leaned heavy on you for those kills in season five. Those there, there the was, was that they you set up. Oh my god! I have some of the props from that still. <laughs> uh, you know the, the four four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. Um, that was one of the more challenging things. You know, on a TV series, uh, a prop master usually gets nine or ten days to create whatever is on that page. And that's really not a lot of time on most shows and is definitely not a lot of time on Dexter because so much of it is manufactured, whether it be body parts or bodies or alligators that we have to cut open and pull guts out of. Um, But thankfully, there was enough forethought to tell me about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse early (laughs) on. Because there was a lot of research and development in trying to figure out how we are going to build these four bodies, mount them on live horses, and have them go galloping up and down the streets of Long Beach over and over and over and not have them fall apart. Yeah. And uh, it's so easy to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. The, then you step yeah. in and create these miracles, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say, I mean, the, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse was, you know, definitely a triumph. Definitely a triumph. On Dexter, uh, there's, you know, there's lots of blood and lots of, I mean, figuring out how Dexter can take a clean cotton swab and roll it on something that the audience doesn't see. And then all of a sudden, spray it with something, and it turns a color. And yeah. creating the formulas, so Michael could actually do that live in real time without visual effects. That, I thought, was really cool. But, um, you know, Marco Siega, who was one of our beloved directors, when he came to me really early on, it was season three, I mean, a lot of the show really became iconic in season three, prop-wise. But he came to me and he said, I want to do a shot where we're looking horizontally over a body, you know, cellophane to the table. And I want to see a knife go all the way into the chest, all the way up to the hilt. Can you do that? Mm -hmm. And of course, like any prop master, I said, yes, because (laughs) we say yes. And then we figure out how the hell to do it. Yeah, And I started thinking about it, and I realized that at that point, there really weren't fully retractable knives. It was always a cut. There was always a cutaway where we could go so far and we would cut away. And I just took it to the next level and 
with the help of a guy named uh, Brian Barrow, who designed and manufactured a lot of the knives, most of the knives, uh, and a lot of the other manufactured props, um, we created a series of knives that where a kill knife was actually three different knives. And uh. one of them, the handle was longer than the blade for uh. 12 frames where it actually goes into the chest. But we would always start with a shot of the full knife and there was negative space in the handle. And that's the, the, the picture we put in the audience's mind. And until yeah. you tell the audience that it's something different, they're on that ride with you. And that became his hero kill knife for the remainder of the series, seasons three through eight. It was always the same knife. And then when Lumen had a knife, it was kind of modeled off that knife and had some of the same architecture. And um, yeah, I mean, the whole knife kit became uh, a character unto itself because it was always kind of different season one and two. And we used a lot of the battery-operated uh, saw like in the first couple seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And in season three on, we basically stuck with the knife. Yes, until, I mean, Trinity was a big change. That oh, Trinity. Yeah. 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 I have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good hammer. That, like, just the way Michael just flipped it around, claw yeah. side down. Yeah. And, and, and I went through probably, I think I bought well over a dozen hammers and laid them all out on a table with the director and we went through the pros and cons of each hammer and how, you know, whether it was a framing hammer or was how the, how the, wow. the, the claws, you know, curved down or they were a little more out and make sure that everything was exactly the way it needed to be for each shot. And that's the stuff that the audience shouldn't know before they see yeah. something. But it's there. Yep. You know? It's like one of the things that Clyde always says, Clyde Phillips, the showrunner of the, the new thing and back then too, the new Dexter, um, was like nobody knows what we do for a living, and it's that's kind of the beautiful magic of of this. You know, I feel like nowadays people know more than ever, but um, and that's not that's not bad either. I mean, obviously we're doing a podcast about it. Do you remember the other thing that Clyde always said at the production meetings when I would start talking about things? It's not a documentary, <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. You know, sometimes we would get so like talking about kill rooms. Uh, I can't remember if it was, was when you were there, Arthur, or not. But um, there was uh, Dexter was killing a boxer, like a, a, a violent guy, and killed it was a, 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 a killed him in a in a boxing ring, yep. and he had this thing in his head of like he's Dexter's gonna pull on the microphone and yank it down, and all of a sudden all that plastic just goes woof, like a tent and opens up. And I remember in the room, and it was me that was pushing this. I was like, "Come on, how did Dexter do that? How did he find? How did one man?" put all this together. How did he get up there and blew all this? He's, you know, he doesn't have three days to do a killer room. This doesn't make any sense. And Clyde looked at me and he said, Scott, we're not making a documentary. And, uh, and he was right, by the way. Like, that's one of my favorite kill rooms is watching that plastic just billow out, you know? Yeah. One of my favorite things of working on Dexter is that, like, yeah, it's not a documentary. And it, it, and it takes place in this, you know, world. So Dexter's going to get away with whatever. It's yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We want him to, by the way. We want yeah. him to. <laughs> yeah. And so I was, you know, I always explain that. It's like, that's a, you know, 
no, you can't do that in this show. But in Dexter, we did that. That's yeah. different. You know, it is. It just became its own thing. Yeah, getting to you, like, so you get a script early mm-hmm. on. How do you prepare to sort of edit an episode? Because you get, I mean, how much, how many dailies do you get every day? How many hours worth? Oh, I God. Mean, on Dexter, it was like, you know, sometimes you get like two hours. It depends. It depends yeah. on like the scenes. If you were in the police station, I don't, it was a pretty well-oiled machine by the time I came on. So it really yeah. wasn't like, you know. Uh, it was quite a team. If a director got behind, some days you'd get hosed down, you know. Um, What's that mean, hosed down? Hosed down is when they get a bunch of different cameras and hose Just down a scene. Shoot everything. From a bunch of different angles, yeah. yeah. Which is tough because um, the police station, sometimes there would be like eight people that are telling a part of the story. Yeah. And- like Miami Metro was was hard some days because it's like if you're following Dexter or you're following Deb or you're, you know, and mm-hmm. going by Quinn's desk and going by, you know, it's... And then Masuka says something. And yeah. then Masuka says, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so hitting all of those little marks was always tricky. But um, you read the script and you hope that, you know, you're not going to get a hose down. Um, <laughs> most of the times you didn't. I mean, when, when guns were involved, it was season seven with Victor and the... Colombian bar and and I think Ernest Dickerson was the director and and we had it all in like slow-mo and like that was a tricky scene and um they were like what was my Deb's favorite it's just like is this like we're chasing the fucking Terminator yeah Um, um, yeah that was the things like that were crazy and like this you know and that was an actual set uh that was a location too so that was a tricky one because uh, depending on where you were, if you were at Sunset Gower, usually at like Miami Metro, it, it, things would flow a controlled. certain way. Yeah, it was much more controlled. If you were, you know, in a practical set, that's when things would get different. And um, you know, yeah, you just kind of flag like what's the big, what's the set piece of this, you mm-hmm. know, episode. Usually, that's like an intel- any television show. Like, what's the big conversation? What's the big set piece? And you're particularly really good at like getting to the emotion of a scene. Well, that's um, that's my thing. But also, yeah, I, I mean, just, is, I'll never really forget <laughs> like my first tone meeting on Dexter. Like Scott What's a tone just meeting? looked at me. A I tone meeting. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a tone meeting is when you come in and you sit with um, the writer and and the showrunner and all of the departments, and we talk about you know the episode coming up and. Yeah. Um, and we try to hit like, okay, well, this is the thing that happens. And, and this is, you know, what are we going to go for here? And by, you know, tone meetings on Dexter weren't super long. But for me, it's like my first one was Scott just saying, here's the thing to remember. Everything is in Dexter's point of view. Right. And like, that's an easy thing just to say. It's like, it's just, and then you get into editing and you're like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> No, because because that is, you, it is, you have to keep that. And the, like Louis Chiaffi, one of the other editors too, he was like, every year, you know, and edit, and Louis was on from like season two. Yeah. Every year, I think this show will get easier and it never does. And yeah, because sometimes <laughs> on like, set, you have to remind the director, it's like, who, yeah. right now this feels like Deb's scene and it really it, needs to be, you need to find a way is. to tell it through, Do- through Dexter's eyes. And so I was always yeah. remembering that. And every yeah. like, and I think that's kind of how I just dove in. 
I mean, that's how I do uh, just every episode. I just kept thinking it's just like, you know, you can be with Victor, you could be with like whoever, you know, yeah. the, the villain. And you're still like, how's Dexter going to get here? How is that? You know what? You're just thinking about Dexter. So was it freeing <laughs> when you did a scene like, you know, uh, a scene with uh, Desmond and uh, Batista sitting in a car, or, or when Dexter wasn't in a scene, did yeah. you did you find yourself cutting it differently? Or yeah, those are like the moments that you kind of like try to hit all the humorous beats. I just realized, yeah. you know, it's like anytime you're away from Dexter. I mean, there was always like comedy in the show, yeah. And so those were like the times where you could hit those little moments, um, especially with like yeah, those two. My first episode. I remember Steve Schill like shot it and it was like an hour. It was over an hour. I was like, aren't these supposed to be like 52 minutes? Right. So we should talk about that because you get, <laughs> you present a, uh, like a editor's cut. Yes. Right. That sort of I do. says this, this, I this think is this is every, the story. These, these are all the scenes that were shot. That's right. like my first thing is usually yeah. the editor's cut that I turn over to the director. These are all the scenes that you shot. And this is, you know, everything that's in the script. Right. Like what's important? What's how what do I feel all the things that I need to feel? Yeah. Do I need the scene? Is this slowing things down? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, how you know we're away from Dexter too long here. We need to get back to this, and this yeah. we need to focus on this. Like the voiceover, you know, the voiceover was always really tricky. You know, we got there was a certain day that Michael did the voiceover for the episode, but until we had it, we had Mike uh, Grant, our assistant editor, do. Dexter's voice. Oh, yeah. So That's always fun. <laughs> we would um, temp it in, and then we would get the real voiceover from Michael. And Michael, I mean, he, this is where he was such a genius. Um, even When you were on his face, he was reading that voiceover, like, in his head. Yeah. Like, he knew where it was in the script. Yeah. And I was always so thankful for that. <laughs> That's great. That was the part that just... It just fell in because he made it a part of his dialogue. Like he learned it like his lines. Yeah. Do you guys have like a favorite memory from working on the series? Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, go. Bring Michael it. Michael directed That's episode right. two of season eight. Yeah. And I got to be edit his episode. Oh, my God. And that was just like my favorite. So you were like in the editing moment. bay with him. With him. And I'll oh, never wow. forget, like most of the time he just showed up as Michael. And, uh, <laughs> but one day he was on set and he came into the room dressed as Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> and it freaked me out. Like, I didn't think I would have like such a reaction, but it freaked me out. <laughs> like just to have him come in, like Dexter came into my room. Yeah, like, sitting behind you, like sitting staring behind over me. you. I would turn Did around you do and he a had his like, Miami Metro ID on, and I'm just like, Jesus, but he had his kill suit on. I, like, I was just like, oh, my God. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> the, the, you know, but that was one of my favorite moments, definitely. Meltzer. There, are, there, there truly are so many, and so many of them weren't even on camera. You yeah, know? So I, mean, many, I, love, some, I agree. Yeah, so, so many of them were... <laughs> Like there was a, a scene where we were going to tase somebody and I was able to find a, a prop gun that shot the taser dart and it would attach to the person, to the, to the, like the character, the, the actor, the stuntman, whoever it was. But I always check everything with 
my crew or myself or whatever before we ever do it with an actor. And so I was in the, the prop trailer tasing my crew, shooting these, <laughs> shooting, shooting taser darts at my crew. Yeah. Um, what I take away uh, was the overall uh, experience. It was such an incredible group of artists on camera and behind the scenes. Um, it wrecked my career because no show has ever lived up to that since. I have to second that. Yeah, yeah. I'm in year I'm in year 45 of doing this. <laughs> wow. And there is I've had some great shows. I've had a great career. I mean, I'm so happy to see your faces, you know. I know, um, Josh. You know, when I got the call from Clyde to be the prop master on the new, new reboot book. that's yep. coming out, you know, I welled up because I thought, yes, undoubtedly, anytime, any place, I will do this. And then, of course, I wasn't able to do it because I was actually committed to another show. And it was during COVID, and that show saw me through COVID. I couldn't just walk away from that. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, the fact that uh, I was able to consult with um, the prop master who did the show, Jennifer, and, yeah. you know, give her some of the props I had stashed away and just talk her through how we did a lot of the gags, how we did certain things. You know, it brought back a lot of it for me and gave me enough so that I felt like I was part of the show, um, which really helped. But there is no one special memory. It's just, it was just a hell of a time. It really was a hell of a time. So thankful to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, you all of us, you all were a part of the new one too. I mean, you know, it's just the, this legacy that you guys created. So we are very grateful that uh, your wisdom was passed on down, uh, and it was it was it was great. Um, well, listen, hey, this was a great time to hang with everyone. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your memories. And um, I just like Josh said, it's so good to see all of you, Josh. Prop master Josh, set designer Arthur, editor Amy, uh, thank you all for coming on. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Uh, listen every Tuesday and subscribe to the Dexter New Blood wrap-up wherever you get your podcasts. And watch Dexter New Blood Sundays starting November 7th, only on Showtime.